will be reading verses 1 to 11. Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 to 11. May God bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore to him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram and Latushim and Lumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah and Epher and Hanuk and Abida and Eldeah. These were the sons of Keturah. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. And these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Lahai Roy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And again, I ask you to bow with me as we pray. O Lord, we <clears throat> bow before you this morning to worship and adore you. We praise you, Father, that you and your great infinite mercy have delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your beloved Son, our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for your gracious love and the blessings which you continually pour out upon your people. You have been so very gracious and bountiful every day, Father, and may we recognize those blessings more and more. Thank you for giving us our daily provisions of of food and clothing and shelter. We ask that you bless the offerings that we have given this morning as we return a portion of the blessings that you have given to us, that it may go to the advancement of your kingdom and for the aid of those who are in need and to, uh, to promote the gospel worldwide. We ask also, Lord, that <clears throat> you remember those among us who are sick or who are healing from disease or having medical treatments done. We ask you to heal them in order to bring them back to good health, that they may return to um, their regular activities, and especially that we may gather with them in the worship of God. But more importantly than their bodies, we thank you for their spiritual healing and that we are made whole by the grace of God. We ask you to bless our families from the children all the way to the grandparents, that they might all be found to be walking in the truth, glorifying God and giving testimony of his love. And if there are any that are wayward from you, Lord, we ask that you please draw them back in your great mercy and love. Gather the one sheep that has gone astray, for you uh, love us in such a way. We ask for your fatherly protection from every danger in this fallen world, especially from the spiritual dangers that surround us, from the evil one who lurks about seeking whom he may destroy. 
Our confidence is not in our strength, but in the strength of Christ. And may we boast in Him. We ask You to bless us with Christ-like love for one another, that each of us might seek the good of our neighbor, and in so doing, that we would reflect the image of our dear Savior. Now, Father, bless Your holy word to us in this hour. Bless Your servant Phil who is prepared, yielded himself in service to You. Send Your word forth in power, working in us that which is pleasing in Your sight, and guiding us to do Your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Uh, Success is uh, oftentimes uh, defined by uh, achievements that are acknowledged uh, by the world. Uh, How many total rushing yards had some uh, running back made? How many interceptions? How many halls of fame does someone belong to? I mean, there's countless halls of fames in our world. Um, How many degrees? Uh, How many zeros uh, in their bank account? Uh, But the Creator cares nothing about these things because they mean nothing to Him. They are merely human achievements to which He gives uh, no accounts in the spiritual realm. They're not meaningless. Uh, We all need those things. Uh, but they don't count for heavenly glory. So it is the Creator who is to define what real success is. And we have that in a measure uh, in the life of Abraham. Uh, in verses 1-6, to we, we learn, not just here, but from a commentary by the author of the book of the Hebrews that Abraham lives well by the faith. Our text, I think, is an epilogue that is uh, not chronological. Uh, It is uh, theological, uh, whereby God blesses uh, Abraham uh, with the heir of the promise uh, by faith in, of course, uh, Sarah. And God also blesses him in fulfillment of his promise uh, to make him the father of many nations. So in that sense, it's a a final epilogue uh, of his life of spiritual blessings in God's effectual grace and then uh, his uh, common grace uh, making him the father of many nations. And we know God promised him that if you turn back in Genesis to chapter 17, uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, we read there of God's promise to that end. Uh, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Uh, you will no longer be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I will make of you the father of a multitude of nations. That's really something of an overarching summary that uh, and in the births of, of many, many men and women and uh, numerous nations, there is but one promised uh, spiritual inheritance, uh, and that is uh, that God will give Abraham a son, uh, Isaac, and bless Isaac. And it's by faith and that we learn later in the Scriptures that he will have many, many sons who are children by faith. 
The text tells us that Abraham takes another wife named Keturah, defined as a concubine, or a, a secondary, uh, if you will, wife of secondary rank, whose sons had no rights of inheritance whatsoever. He has six sons by her, and of course, number of grandsons. Uh, it's important to recognize uh, something of what this means uh, culturally. Uh, we know that the canon of Scripture has yet to be completed. A polygamy was not yet condemned by Scripture. And in that sense, while Abraham was a child of the faith, he was also a child of his culture. He lived in that culture. He did things that were common to that culture. And there's a filling of the earth by special wives, uh, brought by God into Abraham's life, in this case Sarah, but concubines or secondary women in his life who had whose sons had no privileges whatsoever. We know that the Scriptures condemns that today. They've yet to be completed in his life. He's a child of his culture. We should judge him in that way. Important to recognize that that God interdicts men in the cultures in which they live. Revelation is not yet complete. Let me give you an illustration of that. We uh, uh, Oftentimes in our culture, we've seen recent events where uh, offenses of days gone by are condemned by a present-day culture, and we want to erase their history. Of course, we cannot erase it, but we attempt to do so. Maybe we tear down statues or uh, change the name of an institution. Uh, I, I'm always a bit amused uh, because of my history in the Army that uh, we can't acknowledge uh, heroes of days gone by, so we change the name of a fort. Uh, instead of Fort Bragg, it's now Fort Liberty, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, we can't remember Bragg because he, uh, well, I'll let you fill out the blanks. So, 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 so let's imagine, uh, let's judge all the physicians of the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries by 21st century medicine. Why, they're all crooks. They all should be sued for malpractice. The fact that they didn't know enough is their fault, and let's destroy what they did for us. I mean, that would be silliness, wouldn't it? We don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because that's not the way God works. God works in culture in the lives of men and women. And he establishes in present day culture the record by common grace in the attainments of gifted men and women, whether it be in medicine or sports, whatever. And we are children of our culture. But we also, by grace, are children of God's culture in new life and spiritual blessings. And remember that when you run across young people in particular who think that they are righteous and want to efface human history. We are all children of our cultures. Of course, we are of a special culture and we should walk in that culture with extreme humility because God not only intervened in our lives, he changed our life in His beloved Son. 
And in this case, it's the means by which the promise of nations are to be realized in the blessing of God to make him the father of many nations. One spiritual nation, but many nations by common grace. Without obligation, Abraham generously blesses his sons by Keturah and sends them away. He had no obligation to do that, but he does so nonetheless. Another reminder of the majesty of God in being generous with people. The text then reads that they are driven east because they're not heirs. So they're driven out of the spiritual family. They're separated from the spiritual family because they are not the heirs of God. Geographically, east of the Jordan are the Arab nations today. Thus, Abraham is their ethnic father. Not spiritual father, but ethnic father. And God is fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham that I read a moment ago. More importantly, Abraham has acted to isolate and protect his son Isaac as the sole heir and successor to the promise of God. In our lives, for those of us who are parents, our sons and daughters are our spiritual heirs. We labor before God in prayer that God would give them new life in Christ. We raise them by God's grace and the fear and admonition of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And the wisdom is the majesty of God in His beloved Son, Christ. And a major tribute to Abraham defining his success, almost at the pinnacle of success, is that our Savior comes from this line. Reading very quickly, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Christ comes from this special line of the heirs of God that are promised the eternal inheritance. There's also a tribute to Abraham's life in that he had success not by his works, but by his faith. He had faith in God. He lives well because of God's grace. He lives well because God blessed him. Significant understanding of success in life, the blessings of God. Everywhere you read of spiritual success, it's because of the blessings of God. There is no such thing is spiritual success, which ultimately and finally is the only real success because heaven is the arbiter and God's court is the supreme court. It's all based upon his blessings. God blessed Abraham. And that was his success. And it was had by faith. He believed God through faith in Christ and God imputed righteousness to him. It's a commentary of that in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 3, comes from Genesis, of course. Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham went outside in the darkness of night with no ambient light whatsoever and saw the multitude of the stars. God said to him, make you the father of as many as are the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed the promise. And God reckoned to him 
his righteousness. And that one signal event, the blessings of God, God's going to make it happen. But Abraham believes by faith that the blessings of God are had by faith, by faith, and by faith alone. Abraham at that time was childless. He was going to wait a number of more years before he has a son, but God was going to make it happen. And Abraham believes by faith. In that event, he becomes the legal heir of the promises of God for the inheritance of eternal life, for victory, and for vindication. Let's look very quickly at Genesis 22 and verse 17. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In one simple promise, Abraham gets it all by faith. He's going to possess all of his enemies. Total, absolute vindication. Why? Because he was a great warrior? No, he had nothing at all to do with it except by faith. It's the blessings of God. His success is defined in such a manner that God blesses him. I will greatly bless you, God says, and give you the gates of your enemies. In Hebrews 11, I've stated this before, but it's certainly well worth remembering, Abraham becomes a member of the only hall of fame that matters at all. Where the author, author, pardon me, tells us that he lived by faith. And let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So he acts by faith on the call of God. By faith, he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder was God. So the land was just simply symbolic of a greater promise of heaven. And Abraham believes that God will make it happen by faith. It's interesting to me the characterization in all of these texts that Abraham was eminently successful because God blesses him. And you and I know that that's all the more remarkable because Abraham failed often, didn't he? He failed before Pharaoh. He failed with Hagar. And he failed before Abimelech. But God blesses him nonetheless by grace. By grace. God was gracious to him. And God blesses him. And that is his success. It's our reminder that God's Grace does not elect the perfect because none of us are perfect. None of us could ever achieve any modicum of perfection before a holy, righteous, and infinitely perfect God. God doesn't elect the perfect. He elects sinners like Abraham. And neither does he make his sons perfect in this life. 
but he does justify and sanctify them so that they believe in him and walk by faith. And that is legal and moral success before God. And Abraham believed God. And you and I, as you know, because we have mentioned this on numerous occasions, that you and I, as Gentiles, are the true sons of Abraham by faith. Not by ethnicity, but by faith. No one is ever a son of God by natural generation or physical birth. It's always by the new birth, by faith. God was gracious to him by faith. And it is the same with us. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul is the final commentator on this. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith that are the sons of Abraham. If you have had faith in God, you belong to the Abrahamic line and are a son of promise. The promise was always, always by faith, never by natural generation. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So you and I are the legal heirs. We are descendants of Abraham. None of us in this room, as much as I know, are ethnic Jews. But by faith, we are the true sons. That's the great error of people seeing the children of Israel in the Middle East today as the sons of God. They're not the sons of God. They're just simply the ethnic generation of Abraham. We are the sons of God and heirs of the eternal promise and the eternal city by faith. We're the successors, the true successors by faith. And the same inheritance uh, promised to him passes to us so that we are looking for the same city. Uh, I oftentimes hear people uh, make the comment that uh, Abraham is the father of three religions. Judaism, uh, Islamic faith, and of course the Christian faith. Uh, That is just simply a historic fallacy. He is the father of only one faith, and that is faith in Christ. Throughout his life, Abraham knew and understood that he would have a son who would be the ultimate creator of the promises of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of sinners. It was never in the sacrifice of a lamb, but in a greater eternal son. He knew that it would be accomplished by faith and that greater son. And he was always looking for that. And one reason we know that is from Hebrews chapter 11. He was looking for a city. What, in the land of Canaan? Absolutely not. His builder and maker was God. He was looking for a greater sacrifice fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he walked by faith, knowing that God would make it happen. And God did make it happen. And God made him a father of many, many countless spiritual sons. And you and I are the sons of Abraham by faith and are looking for the very same city. Father of only one faith. 
and every other faith outside of that faith is rejected by God. His sons by Keturah are driven eastward, away from the presence of God. In verses 7 to 11, Abraham dies well in the faith. We know from Hebrews that he walks by faith his entire life. Never perfect. He made lots of mistakes. He stumbled numerous times, but he walks by faith, knowing that God would make a greater, greater provision, looking forward to the coming of Christ. He walked by faith. Verses 7 to 11, he dies well in the faith. The greatest success of all, to die in the faith. This encompasses, I think, a number of signal doctrines. Number one, Abraham persevered in the faith so that what he believed at the beginning of his life as he trusted God to make him the father of many nations, in particular through Isaac, he died in the very same faith at the end of his life. Nothing at all changed. It was all faith in God to provide a greater son that you and I know is Jesus Christ. He never changed. He never deviated. We know this in our theology. In the greater revelation that we have in the New Testament is the perseverance of the saints. Abraham throughout his life persevered, believing that a greater son would come, and we know that greater son to be Jesus Christ. Today, people begin in the faith, lose the faith, fall away from the faith, wander from the faith, and never come back. That does not describe the success of Abraham, who died in the faith. The content he believed to the end. Never deviating, he held it fast. I'll give you an illustration of that. Genesis chapter 22. God has told him to go sacrifice his son. You and I know that God is going to intervene in a special way. Uh, and God is going to provide a greater son who's going to be sacrificed, namely the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of sinners, all men without distinction. Isaac turns to his father and says, Behold, the fire in the wood, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Notice the answer. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. That's the greater faith of Abraham. The greatest test of his life. Fulfilled infinitely so. God so loved all men without distinction that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son. Over and over in this text, your son, Abraham, your son, your son. And now we know ultimate fulfilled by God in the greater son of God, Jesus Christ. The Lord will provide. Abraham believed that. Verse 13. 
Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. All of these coalescing in the majesty of the incarnate Son of God, the incarnation, Christ took upon himself, the eternal God, the eternal Son, took upon himself human nature so that he could bear the sins of his many sons and make them sons of glory and make them sons of the promise and gave his life a ransom for the many. He became their substitute. He took the wrath that they deserved upon himself to create many sons. Abraham knew that in a very minute way. You and I know it much more fully because of the majesty of God's revelation in the New Testament. But he believed it to the end. So he died in the faith. He never wavered from that. He never left that. He held it fast to the end. And so we can say of him that he died in the faith. I say that because many, many churches today are dancing with culture, believing that um, the incarnation is uh, something of a myth. Uh, substitutionary atonement is culturally defined. Uh, since there are many cultures, there are many ways to God. So we are rejecting that wholesale in many denominations and churches. It must not be so at Grace Bible Church. We want to live by faith and by grace. Keep that faith so that we die in it. Moses tells us that at uh, the age of 175, he breathed his last and died in a good old age. He too was subject to the curse. But by faith, he believed in the resurrection. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us that. He, namely Abraham, considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. That's why he was willing to sacrifice his own son because he knew he could raise him from the dead. And he knew by faith that God would resurrect a greater son. All coalescing in the majesty, divine revelation. And he believed that to the end. His willingness to sacrifice. So he dies in the faith. For most people, death is the supreme lost. loss. As you know, Paul describes it as the supreme gain. For me to live is Christ, serve Christ, sacrifice myself for Christ, but to die is gain. Paul struggles with that. He's in his first Roman imprisonment. Philippians 1.23, But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. He stacks a number of comparatives, really that we could coalesce into the supreme superlative, to be with Christ, the greatest of all possible ends. We see death as loss. We weep and we mourn. Paul was ready at that very moment because he knew it to be the supreme success in life. To die, having lived by faith, in, in the faith in Christ. Moses tells us that he was satisfied with his life. Abraham breathed his last and died in ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life. He was gathered to his people. 
He was pleased with the outcome. I mean, he as well as any of us knew that he had failed signally on a number of occasions, jeopardizing his wife, jeopardizing the son of promise, but by faith he keep, kept moving forward. And in the end, he was pleased with the outcome because he saw that God was even able to give life from his dead body and life from the dead womb of his wife. And even when he was called to sacrifice his son, he believed that God would raise him from the dead. The great doctrine of the resurrection, the end of the age. He had a deep sense of the realization that God had brought him through it all by faith. And in all of the challenges of life, God enriched him with blessings. And that is true success. The blessings of God spiritually. God was with him all along the way and was true to his promises all along the way. Never failing him. I love that text. Isaac, the Lord will provide. And God did. And God did in His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. And God delivered in a way well beyond His imagination, totally absent disaffection, desperation, and dissatisfaction. Satisfied. Because He had walked by faith, He could die satisfied. Again, he comes to the end with no regrets. I, I'm hard pressed to remind you of a signal truth. The world promises many things. But it will only give partial success in this life and all of the success it gives will eventually unravel at the grave. Because they cannot be carried forward. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. If you're not a Christian, you believe that God has a substitute in the incarnate Son of God to pay the bill that you owe the infinite, eternal God that you cannot pay, but He pays in the act of substitution. Then Moses says he was gathered to his people, verse 8. I happen to believe that this is an idiom of life after death. Because literally, Abraham was not gathered to his people. His father was an idolater. They did not carry his body back to his birthplace, back to where his father lived carried him and buried him in the cave that he had purchased in Canaan, the cave of Machpelah. There is where he was buried. So I think, again, in my mind, uh, that his spiritual fathers is what he is gathered to. You and I would would trace that, for example, uh, to the sons of Seth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 to 26. And Adam had relations with a wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth and to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. 
Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They lived in a dangerous time. They lived in a dangerous place. And so they called upon the Lord as a testimony that they were the true sons of God. And the most famous to me is Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. And Enoch walked with God. He walked by faith. He was a true son. He walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. He died. And God resurrected his spirit to be with him forever. It's a realization that God does not abandon his sons to the grave. They live beyond the grave. And they take nothing in this life with them, but they inherit the eternal treasury of all of heaven and the majesty of God as the sons of glory. That is success. By faith and to die in that faith. Awaiting the physical resurrection if you will, they die and their souls are made perfect and pass into glory. Never ever to be taken away from them. Again, spiritual success. Uh, to live by faith and to die in the faith. And you and I are looking for the same city. Not a geographic location. I'm sorry, it's not in the city of Jerusalem today. It's in the heavenly city. We know that again from Hebrews 11. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 54. Let's look very quickly at uh, how the city is described. The context to the children of Israel is to restoration and security so that that particular city uh, will never fall again. And the immutability of that city is described by the prophet Isaiah. In our return to the greater city of Zion that will come for us. And so that city came for Abraham and his spiritual sons. It's described architecturally, and I'll leave it in your own time to read the entire chapter. Uh, in a number of precious stones that are allusions to the Garden of Eden and the breastplate of the high priest indicating the presence of God. Uh, but look very quickly with me, if you would, at Verses 13, 14 of Isaiah 54. And all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. Well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. It's very interesting the first part of uh, this promise is realized for us in Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. Uh, For everyone who comes to me will be drawn by the Father, and all who come to me I will not cast out, as the prophets have said, and they shall be taught of God. John is alluding to Isaiah 54, taught of God. So God teaches us about Christ, who is in the way uh, uh, to the door of the city which is being described in this chapter, is the entrance into that city. We enter that door by faith, and we die in that very self-same faith, so that we will never fail again. So John's allusion to this text, it's very important to understand this, as John alludes 
to Isaiah 54 and John chapter 6, particularly in verse 45, teaching us that the eschatological reality has begun in Jesus. That the end times are all coalescing in him. And that he is the builder and the architect of that city. And we become heirs of it by faith in him. And in him alone. And while God is your teacher, he will not fail spiritually. Because his teaching is efficacious. And what's the content of his teachings? When Jesus said, and the prophets teach you, you should be taught of God. The teaching is about Christ. In Christ. For Christ. And no other way into the great city, the city of Zion, that will come for us in the eschaton. Because of, because of Christ, we will succeed spiritually and eternally. That's true success. Uh, we all talk about leaving an inheritance to our children. I, I hope you do. I hope it's big and fat. It's a blessing to them and they can acknowledge your hard work and your achievements. But there's a greater, there's a greater reality to gift them. And that is the fear of the Lord. Admonition, that's the beginning of wisdom. Spiritual success. Because they'll leave all human attainments behind and achieve the greatest of riches, heavenly riches, the eternal treasury of everlasting glory by faith in Christ. So to die in that is the greatest of all success. Isaiah the prophet says, second, our well-being will be great as God will make us whole. He will make us whole spiritually. Thirdly, we are established in righteousness, meaning that God has cured every fault and our arrival into the city begins an eternal and immutable state. Never ever to be revoked. Never ever to be changed. Irrevocable and immutable. I love Romans 11.29 for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's, that's true riches. The gifts and the calling of God. As such, verse 17, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper in every tongue that accuses you in judgment. You will not condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. How do you get that? In Christ. Taught of God. About Christ. Who He is. What He's done. And what He will do at the consummation at the end of the age. All threats removed and every enemy will fail. If you will, the words of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. And all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Namely, Christ. By faith in Him. That's the city that Abraham was looking for. That's the city that all of the true sons of Abraham are looking for and will inherit. Here's a description of it. Isaiah chapter 54, begun eschatologically by Christ, taught by God the Father about the majesty of God the Son. It's the pinnacle of success because all failure is nullified, obviated, and the reward is world without end. And most importantly, we get the greatest success of all, God's presence. 
Abraham's down payment was a tomb. But he believed that he would not reside there. And he died and he went to the presence of the Lord by faith. And therefore his death was the greatest of all success because he died in the faith that he started with and that he kept and that he ended with. I remind you that life and the successes accorded by this world can appear to be very beautiful. But outside of the faith, they're only temporal and they will all unravel. I remember hearing a sermon in which the preacher said, I've never seen a funeral train going to the cemetery in which a Brinks armored car was in that train because it's all left behind and ultimately will all rust and perish and fade away but not so faith in Christ that we walk by faith to the end that we die in the faith and for those outside the faith that death is total irrevocable and irreversible and immutable disaster the final ruin from which there is no recovery. World without end. That's ruin and disaster. And that's why it's so important to apprehend the success defined for us in the text before us, Genesis 25. Summation of the life of Abraham. He walked by faith and he died in that faith. And faith in Christ is the ultimate success both in life and in death. The text is an epilogue about an entirely successful man and the success of his wife as well because she walked by faith and died in the very same faith, beckoning us to read and to study that epilogue, to understand that this is true success. Not to get so worried about sometimes the worldly achievements that pass us by. Because God is the final arbiter. The court of heaven is the final judge. The vindication is in him. Success is in him. Hope in him. Walk by faith in him. And you too will die. Totally satisfied with the blessings of God poured out upon you because of Christ, his Son, who is our hope and our treasure of life everlasting.